0: No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News, and with our pro app, you can experience our coverage ad free, pop up free, and distraction free for the low price of £2.99 a month or 19 99 for an entire year. But what do you get? The most comprehensive 24 hour coverage of Manchester United, including on scene, insight, and exclusives from our dedicated team of writers, including our Chief Man United writer, Samuel Luckhurst. We will keep you in the know about any news coming out of Old Trafford, including takeovers, transfers and exclusives only available on our app. Download the app today through the link below and have your first month completely free of charge on us. Hello and welcome to this midweek edition of the Manchester's Red podcast. I'm your host once again, Seb Parkinson, and today I'm going to be joined by Tyrone Marshall, senior football writer at the Manchester Evening News. But before we get into all the nitty-gritty of the Mason Mount deal, as United, at the time of recording, it's 11.44 on a Wednesday, Manchester United have just announced the signing of Mason Mount. We don't know his number yet, but we're going to get into all of those details later on with Tyrone. But Before we go any further, I want to tell you about the Manchester Evening News' Manchester United Pro app. Nobody covers Manchester United better or more than the Manchester Evening News. So we've decided to bring an app out because all of our people on all of our platforms are looking for a place to go at the same time. So just like Twitter, just like Facebook, just like Netflix, all these apps that you have on your phone, you can now download the Manchester Evening News' Manchester United Pro app. The beauty of the app, is if you pay a subscription of either £2.99 a month, cancel any time, or a one-off annual subscription of £19.99, you'll get your first month free If you do pay the 19 dollars 99 cancel anytime subscription free so you can come and go as and when you please. My favourite part of this app, along with all the amazing content, ad free, pop up free and distraction free, is the listen to articles function. So imagine you're on the train, you're looking out at your phone, you, you can't really see what's going on, you're bouncing around everywhere on the bus or whatnot. And you just think, I cannot read this because my eyesight, like me, I've got to wear glasses now because my eyesight is just getting worse and worse, spending too much time looking at my phone screen over the years. But the beautiful feature is you can listen to articles. So at the top of the screen, all you do is click the word listen and the the voice will simply read in beautiful dulcet tones. About the article. So you will be able to listen to the article in full, whether it's one of Samuel Lucas' exclusive long reads, an opinion piece from Rich Fay or Ty Marshall, or whether it's one of Stephen Railston's news pieces. Across the board, you click the listen button, and our articles will be played delightfully into your ears without you having to do anything. You can carry on looking around the train or looking around wherever you're going. You can be on a run. You don't have to read. It's almost like listening to this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, without further ado, thank you for listening. If you do want to download the app, it is available in the description below. But if you are listening on Megaphone or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, all you've got to do is type in on your app store, Manchester United Pro app, or if you go to our website, there is a link on the homepage. Anyway, without further ado, Ty, how's it going? And what is going on at Manchester United at the minute? I mean,
1: most of the details we we knew really it was a pretty well choreographed and advanced transfer. We knew it was 55 million up front, 5 million in add-ons that are difficult to achieve, we believe, and are related heavily to success. Five-year contract with the one-year option. Um, a good chance Fred leaves and is sold after this, I would suggest. Mount was Ten Hag's top midfield target this summer. Um, we've done a few pieces on the MEN website about how he kind of had an impact on Ten Hag in the loan spell he had with Vitesse Arnhem in 2017-18. Mount was 18 then, um, did really, really well in Holland. And, and Ten Hag was very taken to the point that he tried to sign him on loan for Ajax the following season. That was the year he he went to Derby, so he's followed him since has always kept an eye on him made him his top target this summer when it became pretty obvious he was leaving Chelsea and and it's um it's a done deal now the most interesting thing is probably the squad number you mentioned there there was a lot of talk about what squad number obviously he's won 19 at Chelsea Varane's got 19 at the moment but Varane's has worn four previously he wore four for Real Madrid I think he wears four for France the four is available with Phil Jones leaving so there was some some views that there might be a shirt swap but instead mason mount has got the number seven shirt which nobody expected there's obviously a a great deal of mythology around the the number seven at united it although it can be a burden just as much as a blessing i think it's fair to say it's um, there's plenty of number sevens in in recent years that haven't worked out but mason mount is united's new number seven Uh, it won't hurt his branding it's fair to say i think being number seven for united comes with um a certain amount of of kudos it's it 's big shoes to fill um, we 've been told that Eric Ten Hag offered Mount the number seven during their their discussions um, Mount has said come kind of like out this morning in, in in his kind of first comments to the club said that he was infused how infused he was about speaking to Ten Hag and how excited he is about this project and during those discussions, Ten Hag offered Mount the number seven shirt and, and Mount accepted so it 's something that 's come from Ten Hag, presumably he is well aware of the the history of that number for United. Um, I think it was seen at the time as as a real signal of how much, how badly United and Ten Hag wanted Mount. There was interest from Liverpool and Arsenal this summer. I believe United was always his first choice and and offering the number seven was an indication of his role in the team, but also a a real show of faith in, in quite... And, you know, in just how badly he was
0: wanted by Ten Hag. Yeah, I'm just going to read a, a quote from Mason Mount for anybody that's not ready yet. He says, it's never easy leaving the club where you grew up, but Manchester United will provide an exciting new challenge for the next phase of my career. Having competed against them, I know just how strong a squad it is that I'm joining and I can't wait to be part of this group's drive to win major trophies. Now, the, the one thing that's sort of come out of this, and again, it, it's mentioned here in George Smith's article, uh, where does that leave Alejandro Garnacho? Because everybody believed that he was going to get the number seven.
1: Yeah, I, I think there was some suggestion Garnaccio could get the number seven. Um, I think it was considered by United, but I'm not sure it was ever truly likely. I think giving Garnaccio the number seven at this stage of his career would have been way too premature, really. Way too premature. Um, you know, United have had to work pretty hard over the last couple of years to, to keep Garnacho's feet on the ground when he got called up by, by Argentina just to train with him and to train with Messi, um, what was that, about 18 months ago now, you know, there was some concern at United that these sort of things might go straight to his head. So they, they've worked pretty hard to keep his feet on the ground. Anyone who follows his Instagram and, and just follows his look will know that there is, I think it's fair to say, a bit of ego there. That's probably not a surprise for a player that good at that age, but handing him the another seven shirt straight after Cristiano Ronaldo, I think would have been would have been far too much for a player who let's be honest is unlikely to be a starter at the start of next season Garnacho is is probably going to be first or second sub option and, and a game changer from the wings so I think it was always too early to to give him the number seven shirt it might have been something United considered but I don't think it was ever likely to be honest um but I also think no one expected Mason Mount to get it either.
0: That's no, bizarre. Just, just before we move on to the next section, I just want to talk to you a little bit about squad numbers because every season the, the club will announce who's got the squad numbers and, and this and that. With the, you said there, the number four becoming free. Do you think that Raphael Varane may, may jump down into that number four shirt or uh, do you reckon he'll keep his number 19? Possibly.
1: I mean, there's been nothing announced so far. Um, it, it's always a possible the... You know, it's normally it's normally announced pretty early because there's there's plenty of Rafa Varane fans at United and people will be buying the new shirt with Varane and nineteen on the back. So the fact that nothing has been announced so far when it's been known for a long, long time that Phil Jones is leaving, makes me think it's it's probably um it's probably not going to happen. Maybe Varane has become become attached to the nineteen because if it was going to happen, I would have thought it would it would probably have been done by now rather than Fans spending money on a Van 19 shirt for him to say at the start of August, I'm, I'm moving to the number four. So, so, yeah, I would think it's pretty unlikely now.
0: No, uh, I've seen examples where it's happened before, and the the club have put like an announcement out saying, "You bring that shirt back, we'll yeah, replace it free them. of charge." And everything. Yeah. But uh, so it's it's interesting because I I know there there is this sort of obsession that people have with what a player wears, and I'm like, I think like a lot of players will have their branding, their marketing team based around like a certain number if they don't wear a certain shirt it sort of affects that but uh, no I just want to move on now to to the next section talk is that a goalkeeper I think David De Gea has gone off has he got married yeah he got married at the weekend yeah yeah so his contract expired he's sort of all gone quiet and uh, he's gone off and got married which I guess a lot of us didn't know so that's interesting maybe United might given him a bit of space while he does that but the talk of 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 Oh, na, nah, what's his name? He's coming in. So I'm sorry, that was terrible. But <laughs> what what's the latest on the, the goalkeeping situation if there is an update? And, and you know, the, the talk of Verbruggen, uh, sorry if I've butchered his name, that Samuel got the exclusive of uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago now. Like, where are United at with that if there is an update? Yeah, I, I mean, I think
1: Verbruggen was probably a prime example of them not knowing what on earth they need in the goalkeeper market this summer because... You Obviously, he's, for those that don't know, he signed for Brighton this week, which immediately should set alarm bells ringing that he's probably going to be a good player because they don't get many wrong at, at Brighton. And, and it smacks at, at Brighton of having a succession plan. He's, he's only 20 for Bruggan, but he's played a lot of senior football already for Anderlecht. And in his, um, I did a piece on it in his interview with Brighton. He talked about how good he is with his feet and how he feels he's going to be a perfect fit to for the Zerbe system. And he did sound ideal for United, to be honest. The issue is he he wouldn't be ready to start for United next season. I don't think he's probably a two years down the line succession plan. But never mind two years down the line. United don't know who their goalkeeper is next month. Never mind in in twenty twenty five. So it it made a move for Verbrugge impossible basically in in this window. Anana um, is their their top target at the moment, but they've they've made it pretty clear. I did a piece on um, on the goalkeeping situation this morning. Samuel's done something on Inanna as well, and. They they made it pretty clear um, to the people I was speaking to that they want they want a goalkeeper for a reasonable price, and also it's it's still going to be conditioned by De Gea. You, you mentioned him getting married. They were giving him time over the weekend to 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 go and get married. Talks are set to resume pretty imminently. I'm told. I'm not entirely sure when, but but pretty imminently. Um, going to be some face to face talks there. So still a pretty decent chance, or a chance, I guess he will stay. Um, you know, we, we know he's wanted by clubs in Saudi Arabia, but the fact that he's not signed elsewhere now shows that the door is very much still open at, at United and, and this is not a case of a, a permanent exit. It may well be that it comes to that because we know they've got to find some middle ground, but there are talks ongoing and, and from what I understand from what I've written this morning, those talks will condition the the kind of goalkeeper they sign, really. I mean, for me, it would make no sense to re-sign De Gea and sign Anana. You're going to have two experienced goalkeepers there and De Gea's not a great fit for Tenag's system, but he's been on 375 grand a week, even if he more than halves that and he's on 150, 175, that's crazy money for someone who would be a number two. So I think their next move in the goalkeeper market is going to be entirely conditioned by what happens with De Gea. I think if they want a number one, Anana is that man. If De Gea signs they, they might look elsewhere. We've you know we've we've written a few times about the budget being around 120 million this year you take Mount has done now that's 60 million um, s- sales can boost that but Anana if they signed would would take an awful lot of that 60 million up and, and leave you pretty short so I think there's still a lot of uncertainty um, I mean I wrote this morning that they're, they're, they're resuming training pre-season training I don't think it's on Thursday I think it's tomorrow that the only the goalkeeper's going to be Tom Heaton Matej Kovar Nation Bithup and Radek Vitek that's the I think you want four keepers in pre-season training to, to be able to operate essentially you've got 37-year-old who's played three games for United and then three kids, basically. Kovar and Bishop are 23, but have never played. Vitex 19, has never played. You know, it's it's a total shambles. Tom Heaton's going to play in Oslo because there's no one else. Um, Heaton wanted to leave this summer and, and go and play first-team football elsewhere. Dean Henderson wants to leave. United plan to speak to him to to understand if he wants to stay or go. I mean, I'm surprised they need to do that because he wants to go. Um I think everyone can can tell them that. Um but he is injured at the moment and he's still getting over this thigh injury and even if he stays, I think he's touch and go even for the for the US tour. So it is a bit of a mess at the moment. They've got three goalkeepers essentially who they've made unhappy in the space of a month, which is a, a phenomenal effort for what should be a well-run football club. Um and yeah, they don't know who the number one's gonna be next month, like we say, if um if there's a game next week, which there is, it's Tom Heaton. That that situation will obviously change. Um, but how it changes, I think it's it's still unclear. United, a uh, source said to me yesterday that they believe it's a manageable situation, and that once one or two pieces fall into place, it it will kind of become clear. But I don't think there's another elite club in Europe who who have got this same situation with goalkeepers going on, and it's just something it's it's not something a proper football club should be doing. To be honest, it, it reflects poorly, I think, on their their long term planning and their decision making at the moment.
0: Yeah, I just want to pull a name out of your piece on O'Nana, uh, Justin Bijlo. What uh what can you tell me about him
1: yeah he's someone that they're they're, they're certainly monitoring i think he's an alternative cheaper option to to anana um kevin trapp's another name that has been mentioned in certain places in places in germany for eintracht frankfurt i think um i mean it's pretty clear if they sign anana it's going to be in excess of 40 million maybe in excess of 50 including add-ons if they look elsewhere i mean i don't know how much bislow and trapp would cost but i'm guessing half of that probably um so these are alternative options. And like I say, there's this reasonable price thing that comes into it. We saw how hard they worked to, to even just save a few million pounds on, on Mason Mount. So I think they are alternatives that are maybe cheaper than Anana. Um I believe Tanag wants Anana, as you would understand. He he played 145 games under him at Ajax and fits fits like a glove into the goalkeeping gloves for, for what he wants in terms of his distribution. Um but, but with United's kind of Just constraints this summer it might not be that easy
0: brilliant well we'll be back in just a second to talk about the other areas of the pitch that man united could be improving in with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them Welcome back to the Manchester Red Podcast. I'm still joined by Ty. He's not left me yet, but uh, Ty, I just want to jump straight in here. Right, United are going to go and play Leeds United. Now they've just announced Daniel Farker from from his time in in England so far. You know, I know it's only one off game, and Leeds are going to be in the championship, so they're not going to be a concern of United. But Ten Hag has this sort of um, this sort of blot against him against. Uh, teams who get a new manager. So <laughs> should we be worried about United playing Leeds uh, with a new manager at this stage? Uh, no, not at
1: all. Um, I, I mean, also, it's, you know, it's the first pre-season friendly of the summer. These things are, are a very, very light exercise. Nobody should be reading anything into, into that result next season. Um, I mean, United's first pre-season friendly last year, they beat Liverpool 4-0, and it turned out that that actually was quite a good guide, although no, no one thought it at the time. But you know nobody, nobody in that team will play more than forty-five minutes, maybe with the exception of Heaton. Um, but certainly none of the outfield players in a first friendly friendly play more than forty-five minutes. Championship teams have been in preseason training longest; they'll have a fitness edge on United. Um, and you know it's it's far less about about um, systems and players at this point than it is just about match fitness. Come the end of the America tour, um, I think we'll be reading a bit more into how they're going to set up. But at the moment, it's purely about getting players on the pitch and getting some, some match fitness and match action into their legs. And the result really is is going to be an irrelevance.
0: Yeah, well, on the subject of, of players and, and their fitness and everything like that, United are still in desperate need for a striker. We've mentioned it so many times on this podcast. We will continue to do so because it is an ongoing thing. But today, Ty, you've written a, a piece that, that could sort of open the door to United spending a bit more money than the the perceived hundred hundred and twenty million 120 million that we, we've we talked about. Um I don't want to. I don't want to butcher it. So, can you just run us through this loophole with uh, with FFP that that you've uh, that you've unearthed?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I used the phrase loophole in the headline, and it, you know, I mean, I guess it's. I don't know whether it's a loophole or not, but it was the easiest word to, to fit into a headline to to try and explain it. Um, I mean, United are, are insistent they've got FFP issues. They were in January. They are now. Whether they have or not, I've got my doubts, to be honest. Um, I mean, from I'm no expert, but from speaking to people and looking at their accounts, it's hard to see where these issues do actually come from. Um, you know, may, maybe they're there. There is some uncertainty around COVID losses and, and what counts and what doesn't in terms of meeting FFP requirements. But there's there's no obvious concerns that I can see for United, but they're insistent they have got them, which is why they've got this limited budget. Um, but yeah, there's there's a word that's entered the, the football lexicon these days that certainly Chelsea over the last um, 12 months of... Have come to use a lot in pieces around them, and and it's amortisation. Basically, it's it's a word that's written a lot these days, and as I'm finding, it's actually very hard to say. Um, But it's basically how transfer fees are recorded on the books of clubs. So, although it would in in money terms for a transfer budget, if you sold a player for thirty million or fifty million, that would go on the budget. If there's ways around how it goes in the accounts. To satisfy FFP demands, um, and and how things look with financial fair play with UEFA in the Premier League. So we know with um, Chelsea, they sign players on long contracts because fees are amortised over the length of that contract. So to use Mount as an example, fifty five million is going to be booked in the accounts because he signed a five year contract at eleven million pound a year. And then when a player is sold, however long is left on that contract, is their value, and anything over that is is profit. So to use Harry Maguire as an example, he was signed for eighty million for six years. I think that's about thirteen point three million a year. He's got two years left, so his book value is twenty six point six million. So if United sold him for say thirty five million this summer, in the accounts towards FFP, although that looks like a loss because they signed him for eighty million, because his value, it, you know, his value depreciates once he starts playing for United. It's it's like a car in a way, especially for a player like Maguire who's a little bit older and was only ever going to drop in value. Um, so if they sold him for £35 million, in the books that would actually go down as about a £9 million profit, even though it looks like a loss because he was signed for £80 million. But the, the best example and why Chelsea have sold a couple of academy graduates is that an academy graduate is free, essentially. There is no book value. So when you sell them, it is pure profit. So Mason Mount is £55 million in pure profit to Chelsea, which is massive for FFP, which brings us on to Scott McTominay who from what I'm told speaking to someone yesterday is just more likely to stay than go at the moment. But if Scott wanted to go or if there was interest in him, United would consider it. And the advantages it has for FFP is that if they sold him for 30 million, say that's 30 million that is booked straight away. And for Mason Mount, it's 11 million pound in next year's accounts. And if they say So the the example I use my piece to keep it simple was they sell McTominay for thirty million. That's thirty million in next year's accounts. They signed Sofian Amrabat for thirty million on a four-year deal. That's only seven and a half million in next year's accounts. So in terms, if they have got FFP issues and if they need to look good for UEFA, then selling McTominay for thirty million and signing Amrabat for thirty million on a four-year deal, say, actually produces an accounting profit for next year of twenty-three and a half million. Um, so that's kind of ways that clubs are looking to, to get around FFP issues now. Um, like I say, in pure monetary terms, what's available to Ten Hag, the, the anything you sell is probably going to go straight on his budget. But in terms of getting around FFP and making your accounts look a bit rosier for UEFA or the Premier League, that sort of thing is is quite good because that's an example where you could sell McTominay by Amrabat for the same fee. In the box next year, that goes down as a,
0: a £23.5 million trading profit. The biggest thing I'm going to pull from that is that you've just said that United could potentially advertise uh, Harry Maguire as a profitable asset. That is incredible. And I I absolutely love the idea of that, especially how that would trigger so many people on social media if that was
1: a headline somewhere. I know, an accounting profit on Harry Maguire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it clearly would be a loss, although he is. You know, the fact is that it was always going to be a loss for United. They didn't spend 80 million on Harry Maguire to sell him for profit years later. You know, it's just a fact because he signed at 20 six, 25, 26. Um, you know, they were never going to turn a profit on, on Harry Maguire, but in, in accountancy terms, they they could still turn a profit on him basically um, in terms of like how it, how it looks to you, Afer in the premier league in the accounts. That's incredible.
0: Just on United's like transfers, like United, there's there's, a, there's this sort of talk that United really struggled to make profit from selling, selling players. They, they buy players in, they keep them for too long and then they sell them at a loss. Like, how do United go about? It? I guess I guess by the book. From the way you've just described it, actually, that's not an issue. It's just Joe Public, like myself, who see it from the outside that it appears to be an issue. You see, like City selling James Trafford to Burnley for I think 19 million pound all in. Yet United are struggling to uh, to sell players that have still got you know that in the peak of their careers. who have still got loads of life left for for a profit. Like I think you mentioned Fred before, potentially on his way out. Like you bought Fred for 50 million. I guess in an amortised. Um, amortisation, amortisation, sorry, I'm butchering this word. <laughs> Maybe that would, would appear as a profit, but, but what, what's your sort of opinion on, on the idea that United struggle to sell players for profit?
1: It's a difficult one. I mean, Fred, I mean, Fred would appear as a profit. He was on a five year deal, which is ends this year and they took the year option. So he's got a year left, but in amortisation terms, he's, he's, he's paid off now. So they would sell him for pure profit in accountancy terms. I mean, the fact is that, they're, you know, you, a club like United are never going to be a selling club and if they're looking to sell a player um, who's still relatively speaking at the peak of their powers then they're selling them for a reason and that's because they've not cut the mustard. Eric Bailly, Alex Tellez clearly available this summer. They ain't going to make a profit on those players. Um, certainly an area for improvement and what City are incredible at these days is, is selling academy graduates. Liverpool are good at it too. United were quite good at it and it, it comes just by virtue of the fact that if you're associated with Liverpool or City at the moment, you've obviously got something about you. I mean, City are selling James Trafford for 14 million up front. They sold Gavin Bazunu for twelve million, I think, last year. That's two Academy keepers who never made a first team appearance, who basically you know were free essentially in amortization in terms, that they've sold for 25 million quid in two windows. They've made 40 million pounds on selling youth players to Southampton last year. It's it's an incredible system, really. That is an area United probably need to improve on. In terms of selling young players, um, but yeah, you know they they maybe hold on to players for too long. I think that's a fair criticism. But it is, it, you know, it is hard for the club to sell a player. The only time they're really going to be making a profit on a player is if that player is suddenly of interest to Real Madrid or Barcelona and wants to go. Normally, they're selling. They're selling players who are still in their prime, relatively speaking, because they've they've been flops.
0: Well, for anybody that wants to know the definition, according to Google, for amortise, I amortise. I'm sorry, I'm butchering this. Amortisation: the action or process of gradually writing off the initial cost of an asset. And as you'll hear, Ty's description of it was absolutely peak. I've, I don't think I'll ever hear a description of a word better in football in terms as well. You see a lot of people on Twitter saying tell me this in football in terms. Well, well, you've just delivered that in, in the best way possible, but we're going to wrap it up there, Ty. Um, before, before we do go, is there anything that you, any other stories that are coming out that you're writing at the minute you want to, you want to plug? Oh, I'm trying to think what I've done. No, nothing really. I mean, there's
1: a piece on Jaden Sancho yesterday that people have probably read by now. Um, and what a big season it is for him. There was something on the midfield yesterday, which kind of ties into, to McTominay. So, you know, seeing the links with Amrabat, Romeo, Lavia, player United monitoring um, there's a piece on the midfield and and why they might consider a second midfield signing that I wrote yesterday that is essentially down to McTominay and and whether he leaves or not. Um, yeah, that's about it. The rest of
0: it is going to be uh, probably wall-to-wall Mason Mount today, I would think. <laughs> just on Jason Sancho, what does he have to do to save his career? Because he's just, uh, he's he sort of come in as this big player. I think, he did he come in at the same time as Ronaldo? Was it Ronaldo? I might have butchered this. Was yeah, it Ronaldo, Yeah, that summer Varane. him, Ronaldo and yeah. yeah, And it was like, wow, United are back. <laughs> and then Ronaldo's gone. Varane's, you know, despite his injuries, has been has been largely incredible. But, but Sancho, I don't know, I just feel that I watch him and just think my expectation of him versus reality is very much when you see these Instagram posts where it's like the expectation and then you, they turn the camera around and it's actually just a, a messy room or whatever, you know, like the Instagram versus reality. So what 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 does he need to do? Is what, I think you said in your piece that he needs to follow Rashford's suit. So just to elaborate on that, like before we we do wrap this up, what does Jadon Sancho need to do to save his Man United career?
1: Yeah, I mean, Rashford, you know, Rashford was probably in a similar situation 12 months ago where his contract was approaching not the end, but the point where you would normally discuss terms. He hadn't done enough really at that point to earn a new contract. It felt like a big season for whether he stays or goes and he scored 30 goals and he's now probably the most important player in that team, certainly in the, in the final third. Um, that's a sign of how a player's fortunes can turn around quickly and he embraced Ten Hag's methods. There was always a feeling, or certainly I, I always felt that Rashford would benefit from Ten Hag's coaching um, and his intricate coaching and clear structures and he has done Sancho should benefit from that as well I feel but for two years now we've not really seen any glimpse of what he did at, at Borussia Dortmund Yeah, in the league he averaged a goal and assist one every game in across four seasons in the Bundesliga it's one every three games in the Premier League with United and he's you know, he's been well below expectations. So he, he just needs a good season. Basically. I don't think he'll be in the start of 11 come the start of the season. I think it's going to be Rashford, Anthony and an a striker. Um, but when he gets his chances, he just needs to take him and he needs to, he needs to do what Rashford did last year, basically, which is go from a five goal season to a 30 goal season. And, you know Rashford isn't uh, Sancho isn't the same type of player it's not just about the goals but he just needs to show a lot more really and, and perform a lot better than he has done in his first two seasons
0: yeah he is still is he 21 is he 22 yet he is still young I think a lot 23 people... now he's 23, 23. now wow the age so fast yeah yeah <laughs> but he's still he's still relatively young isn't he is he's the same age as, as Harland isn't he I think and because he's been around for a while and the big the whole who about the transfer when he went to Dortmund it, it was it, he feels a lot older than he is he feels like he's been around longer than he is so I guess there is still time for him to uh, to fulfill that potential but we'll wrap it up there Ty I really appreciate your time as always and uh, hope that the listeners have enjoyed this chat and especially the um the full description of the word amortization I think I've got it right that time so we will be back the Manchester's Red podcast will be back with all the usual suspects on Friday and uh You'll be uh, jetting off to Vegas soon, or New York. Sorry, as you said earlier. Since. Yeah,
1: New York first. A uh, couple of weeks. Um, yeah, we're going in. Um, the United get there on the twentieth. I think we're going the day before, so we're there ready for their ready for their arrival. Be yeah, counting counting down the days now, and I'm sure the I'm sure the players and management are as well. The tours are always uh, pretty important for for pre-season and, and
0: getting that real block of training in and uh, that bonding in well I know that you'll be um, you'll be working a lot while you're over there but in New York just next to MSG there's a really nice Irish bar that I went in I spent I watched the Champions League final in 2019 in there so if, you, if you're if you knocking about around uh, Madison Square Garden I would recommend you nipping there for a Guinness It's uh, it was nice best outside Dublin <laughs> I I love it <laughs> anyway that's all for today guys thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe like follow the Manchester United News don't forget to download our app if you're interested in joining us on there we'll be back on friday as i said thanks very much see you soon